Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to take a look at this year's Major League Baseball free agent market. The free agent period officially kicked off this week. And with names like Andrew Jones, Mariano Rivera, and World Series MVP Mike Lowell available, there's certain to be some big money thrown around. We're going to discuss this in more depth in segment three. In segment four, SportsSense, Brian Windhorse. He's the Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer for the Akron Beacon Journal. He's the co-author of a new book entitled The Franchise, which details the rise of Cavs star LeBron James. The book chronicles the shoe war that took place between Nike, Adidas, and Reebok to sign James and also just talks about his overall value to the city of Cleveland and to the Cavaliers franchise. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR On Demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, this past Thursday on the same day, that Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig got up and touted the fact that his league brought in $6 billion in revenues this season, Barry Bonds is finally indicted. I think this is going to be the ugliest offseason for Major League Baseball. Once his George Mitchell report comes out and other names surface, now you've got this Bonds things going on. This is going to be ugly for them. I actually think this is a sigh of relief for Major League Baseball because this has been a black cloud looming over their heads the whole time that everyone's just been waiting for this to happen. Once this happens and everything is in the past, Major League Baseball can finally move on. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think that everyone's been waiting for this to happen. Also this week, Alex Rodriguez in a soap opera-like twist basically breaks ranks with Scott Boris. Boris was in the background, but... Uh, Alex Rodriguez goes and negotiates a new deal with the Yankees, 10 years, $275 million. He did uh, a peace offering with the Steinbrenners, and at the end of the day, I think it's a good deal for both sides, but the Steinbrenners come out really looking good in this. It looks like they stuck to their guns. The guy who's going to lose face, and we're going to talk about this, is Scott Boris. His bark is no longer uh, as big as it was. Well, yeah, I mean, $350 million, which is what they were asking, is so absurd and ridiculous. 275 a little bit more reasonable, but that's still astronomical. But A-Rod belongs on the Yankees. It's a good move for them. Lots of headlines coming up. There's going to be Major League Baseball games in Japan next year. We'll tell you about that. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, this is a big one. Barry Bonds, baseball's home run king, was indicted for perjury and obstruction of justice Thursday. He could face prison. Instead, he told a grand jury that he did not knowingly use performance-enhancing drugs. The indictment culminating a four-year investigation into steroid use by elite athletes charged Bonds with four counts of perjury and one of obstruction of justice. If convicted, he could be sentenced to a maximum of 30 years in prison, But realistically, Nathan, if he's convicted, he'll probably face one to two years in prison. Now, here's what I will say. I think Bonds will fight this. He's been defiant since day one. He's got a lot of money. If this takes place in a San Francisco court, the jurors could look kindly on him. I think he's going to fight it. Well, yeah, you know, I've got to disagree with you. You just called him a Hall of Famer. I don't know if he's a deadlock anymore for the Hall of Fame. With these indictment charges, that's going to make it real tough to vote him in. We look at Pete Rose. Here's a guy who didn't necessarily cheat on baseball. He gambled and bet on baseball. He's still not in the Hall of Fame. So there's so many different legs of this. The other one is, will Barry Bonds play again next season? I don't, I don't think, think he, he will. will. No. I mean, obviously, if he's in jail, he won't. But even if he's not, I don't think anybody wants him. No, I think if he didn't have this going on, there might have been a team like the Oakland that said, hey, you know, we'll make him our DH, we'll pay him a million dollars, a few million dollars, uh, and we'll give him a chance. But now, with all of this going on around him, I don't see it happening. Now, shortly after the indictment was handed up, Bonds' personal trainer, Greg Anderson, was ordered released after spending most of the past year in prison for refusing to testify against his longtime friend. This is something we've talked about on the show before. Greg Anderson went into prison shortly after the birth of his child. This guy has been in prison for, I think, the last year. He hasn't seen his child. He did not turn against Bonds. I'm wondering, did Bonds, like, offer this guy $15 million or something to keep his mouth shut? Because there's not too many people that would show that kind of no. loyalty. And we talked about this all year. I think he had to have offered him something. It's the birth of your child. And what is who is Barry Bonds to Greg Anderson, you know? I would have ratted him out to begin with. But it seems very ironic and very fitting that Greg Anderson gets released right as Bonds gets indicted. Now, it's important to point out the feds have a 90% conviction rate. So just as we saw with Michael Vick when he was indicted in the dogfighting scheme, the odds are stacked heavily against Bonds if he pleads out on this, Nathan, which a lot of athletes do, like Michael Vick when he was indicted, then he's basically admitting guilt and he's uh, going back on, I mean, for years and years and years, he's denied using performance enhancing drugs. If he pleads out on this, that's what he's admitting. Well, I agree with you. I think Barry Bonds is arrogant enough that he's going to fight this until the bitter end and he does have a lot of money, but so did Vick. But I think that the Odds were stacked up so high against Vic, the evidence was, you, you couldn't dispute it. Barry Bonds, on the other hand, I think, I think he could pay his way out of this one. You know, no one is shocked that this day came. And by the way, he was indicted on perjury charges. There's a very good chance in the future he will be indicted on tax evasion money, charges. Money laundering, right? Right. So, yeah. I mean, you know, this is a guy who is in trouble with Johnny Law. And it's going to be very interesting to watch and see how this progresses over the next few months. It'll probably be the story in Major League Baseball this offseason. Now, another huge story this week, as we talked about 
in our opening segment, Alex Rodriguez is returning to the Yankees with a 10-year $275 million deal. We're going to discuss the dynamics of this deal as well as the MLB free agent market as a whole in our next segment. Obviously, A-Rod no longer on that market. This next headline, Nathan, is really mind-boggling. The Bucks and the Rockets played last week at the Toyota Center in Houston. It was the first game between Rocket Center Yao Ming, Bucks rookie Yi Jian Lian. The game was seen by more than 250 million people on 19 TV networks in China. Now, let me put this into perspective. The most watched show in American history, 1983, the series finale of MASH, 106 million people watched that game. This was seen by 250 million people. Staggering. No, it is. And that is why so many major league sports are trying to break into that Asian market. We see the NBA doing it. We see the NFL trying it. There is so much money to be made over there and so much exposure. And Nike and Adidas and all of them are cracking into it, too. Look at that. I mean, and that's not even even a fraction of how many people live over there. Right. I mean, there's 1.3 billion people in China. I know I've said that a million times on this show, but... It's staggering how many people are over there. So if you just get a small fraction of the audience to tune into a game, you're doubling the biggest TV audience in the history of American television. Really amazing. Just as a side note, last year's Super Bowl, second highest rated Super Bowl ever, 93 million. So they're not even half of what the audience was to watch a regular NBA season game. Our next headline, speaking of Asia, Major League Baseball is looking to broaden its reach into the territory, and the Boston Red Sox will open the World Series title defense in Tokyo. The Red Sox agreed to a two-game series against the Oakland A's in Japan on March 25th and 26th, and the commissioner's office announced the trip earlier this week. We know, Nathan, that Boston has Daisuke Matsuzaka and Hideki Okajima, two players very popular in Japan. We know part of the reason that the Red Sox signed these players is because they want to increase the exposure for their brand in Japan. So this trip is really not a huge surprise. No, it's not a huge surprise at all. And I think we're just going to continue to see more and more of this, just like we are in the NFL. I wonder if there'll be talks in the future of the World Series, possibly being overseas, maybe Asia. Maybe that's a long way down the road. There's well, a lot going on in Major League hey, Baseball right listen, now. Listen, one of the ways that Major League Baseball can get better TV ratings is to play the game over there. If you have 250 million people tuning in, it's going to be a big increase. Or stick it on versus, right? There you go. Oh, God. The other thing is, look for this. Uh, San Diego Padres, L.A. Dodgers, they may play in Beijing in the stadium that is hosting the Olympic opening ceremonies March 14th and 15th. That's not official yet, but keep that on your radar. Our next headline, Ricky Williams. The suspension has ended after more than 18 months. He was reinstated by the NFL this week. And the Dolphins, who were 0-9, to the surprise of some, welcomed Ricky back with open arms. Now, here's the thing. Ricky Williams owes a lot of people money. He needs to come back and earn this money just to pay people off. Well, yeah, and we will welcome him back with open arms here at Sports Business Radio because he is the subject of so many of our Caught in the Crosslights. It'll give us something to talk about in Caught in the Crosslights again. Now, he's not able to play in a game until uh, Monday night, November 26th, when the Dolphins play Pittsburgh. So it's going to be a little bit of time before he actually gets back on the field. I haven't seen any footage of what he looks like. Would you take him back? Would you take him back right now? You're 0-9. You've got nothing to lose. Yeah, I guess if you're 0-9, you've got nothing to lose. But, you know, this is a guy who basically quit on your team. He's been suspended time and time again. You know, you always want to give someone another chance, but this guy's been given multiple chances. 
Our next headline, Seattle has been awarded an MLS expansion franchise. They'll begin play in 2009 at Quest Field. Actor and Price is Right host Drew Carey will be part of the ownership group that includes USL Seattle Sounders managing partner Adrian Hanauer and also Hollywood exec Joe Roth and Seahawks and Trailblazers owner Paul Allen. Sources said the Seattle franchise will pay a $30 million expansion fee. In the first week that tickets were on sale, Nathan, 3,000 people put a deposit down. That's a good sign. And listen, hey, these guys are doing better than the Sonics are doing with the tenants, and they don't even they haven't even played a game yet. Well, yeah, they're going to be the replacement for the Sonics now. And you know, the Northwest is known for its soccer. Obviously, here in Portland, there's a, a huge soccer following. But uh, I think this is great for Seattle. Last headline of the week: The London Times reports this week that Michael Jordan, NBA great and Bobcats managing member of basketball operations, is going to pay his ex-wife Juanita an unprecedented. $168 million. If that's true, it'll be the most expensive celebrity divorce settlement ever, topping Neil Diamond's $156 million Wait, divorce Is that going to top Paul McCartney? Oh, yeah. Well, Paul McCartney and Heather Mills are still going Taking at it. it out. So who knows? But, you know, Michael Jordan has a lot of money. There was a prenuptial in place. She was supposed to get half of his fortune. I guess she's getting about a third of his fortune. It's still... A ton of money. Yep. Coming up in our next segment, we are going to discuss Alex Rodriguez's record-setting 10-year, $275 million contract. What does this mean to baseball? What does it mean to the Yankees? What does it mean to Scott Boris? I think Scott Boris is the biggest loser in all of this. We're also going to discuss the free agent market. Last year, we saw Barry Zito, Alfonso Soriano, Carlos Lee, each given contracts over $100 million. What is this year's market going to look like we are going to discuss that and more coming up next you're listening to sports business radio stick around Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Ryan Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back, and I'm joined by Nathan Roach in studio. And, Nathan, the Major League Baseball free agent period is underway. A lot of people thought Alex Rodriguez, once he opted out during the World Series, we all remember Scott Boris basically interrupted Game 4 of the Red Sox uh, World Series victory and uh, said, my guy Alex Rodriguez is opting out. We talked a few weeks ago about how much money Alex Rodriguez was leaving on the table. Well, Scott Boris for months now has been saying, we're probably going to opt out. We're going to look for a $350 million contract. 
this guy is worth so much money to your TV network, to your ticket sales, to your merchandise sales, all that kind of stuff. And he really overplayed his hand. And what happened is he opts out with Alex Rodriguez. Rodriguez takes a ton of criticism from the media for the announcement that came during the World Series. People saw that as blasphemy doing that during the World Series, trying to upstage the World Series. And then they find out that the market isn't nearly what they thought it would be. Hey, we want $350 million. Well, guess what? You're going to be lucky to get $170 million from the Angels and from the Dodgers. So Alex Rodriguez did something that was really stunning to most people. He has been with, Al- with Scott Boris for 16 years. And he basically said to Scott Boris this week, I'm breaking ranks. I'm going to talk to the Steinbrenners on my own. He had a meeting set up with them. And a few days later, voila, he's got a 10-year, $275 million contract. Now, the good news for A-Rod is he's still the highest paid player in team sports history. He's probably going to win the hearts of some Yankees fans because he kind of fell on the sword here and said, you know what? My guy didn't really represent me the way I wanted to be represented. I really want to be a Yankee. And in a way, he came crawling back to Hank Steinbrenner. Hank Steinbrenner looks like a hero because he gets A-Rod back, but for his price, the guy who looks like a bozo here is Scott Boris, and there's a lot of people out there that are pretty happy about that. No, and, you know, I I don't know that I agree with you necessarily. I think that it's going to take a little bit more for A-Rod to be beloved by the Yankees again. I think there's a lot of fans that are upset that he would opt out to begin with. He's a Yankee, and yet A-Rod has not done anything, like I've said, show and show. He hasn't done anything to earn this type of negotiating power. He hasn't led them to a World Series. He hasn't had a championship of his own, and yet he demands all this money. I think it was great that he pushed Scott Boris aside, said, I'm going to talk to him on my own and get a deal done. I also think it's fantastic that no other teams in Major League Baseball wanted to go after A-Rod. I think that's wonderful. Well, and you bring up a point here. You know, the C word has been used in the last few weeks. Collusion. Some people wondered, would all the owners of Major League Baseball get together and say, you know what? A $300 million contract is not good for the sport. I don't care if it's Alex Rodriguez or anyone else. It is not good for the sport. We saw 252 paid out to A-Rod before. Manny Ramirez got a huge contract. Last year, we saw three contracts of over $100 million given out to free agents, and we'll get to that in a minute. Maybe the owners got together, and they would deny this until the cows come home, and said, Salaries have gotten out of hand, and we do not need a guy in our sport earning $300 million. And, oh, by the way, not many people like Scott Boris. So I think you're right. Alex Rodriguez is going to have to win a championship. He's going to have to do well in the postseason. That is the Yankee way. They don't measure you by what you do in the regular season. A-Rod puts up gaudy stats in, but when it counts, he hasn't done anything so far. But he's got the next 10 years to do this. And, oh, by the way, if he keeps hitting home runs at his current pace, he will break Barry Bond's all-time home run record in a Yankee uniform. And that makes the Steinbrenners and the people of New York happy because a Yankee, just like Babe Ruth, will then once again own the record. Well, yeah, and you have to wonder what's going to happen with Scott Boras and Alex Rodriguez' relationship moving forward. Are they going to break apart? If I'm A-Rod, I'm a little disappointed in my guy here. He said he was going to go to bat, made this big hoopla about it, and didn't get it done. I had to do it on my own. Well, better question is this. Let's face it. This is probably Alex Rodriguez's last contract. When this contract is done, he'll be 43 years old or 42 years old, something like that. It's a 10-year contract. But you're still looking at endorsement deals, and those are a huge part of this. 
it's part of it, but I don't think it's very much of it. And the thing is this, is it? here's the question I want to know. Off of the 275, the typical agent commission is 5%. That's $14 million. If I'm Alex Rodriguez, I go, you know what? There's the Scott Boris tax here, $21.3 million that I basically left on the table because the Yankees said to A-Rod, once you opted out and the Texas Rangers weren't subsidizing your salary, if you come back to the table with us, we're not paying you that money. So they basically subtracted that off the top. So if I'm Alex Rodriguez, I'm at least going to Scott Boris and saying, instead of $14 million, I'm going to give you seven. I would cut his commission by leaps and bounds, because frankly, Scott Boris led him down the wrong road here. Oh, I agree with you, and I would cut him out of the picture. Like I just said, this guy has not only done a poor job of negotiating deals with Rodriguez, he's made him look even worse than maybe he already did to begin with. He's made him look like a bad guy to other people outside of the New York Yankee fan base. Well, the Scott Boris way is he doesn't want to just beat you into negotiations. He wants to humiliate you. And You know, he tried to do that here, and it backfired on him. He usually walks into the negotiations with a loaded revolver and says, I'm taking hostages here, and he usually gets what he wants. I mean, you know, he got Carlos Beltran, hundred and some odd million dollars, and he's done very well. He got A-Rod 252 the first time around. Listen, 275 is nothing to sneeze at, but it's a far cry from 350 when you're touting that number. Here's what I can't wait to see. Andrew Jones, center fielder, formerly of the Atlanta Braves, he opted out or his contract is up. He's a free agent. He is represented by Scott Boris. If Scott Boris goes into negotiations on behalf of Andrew Jones, people are going to laugh at him now. And if he says, I've got offers from other people, they are now going to say, I don't believe you. Show me those offers because I don't believe that you're telling the truth anymore. You lied with A-Rod. That was your biggest stage. I think Boris's reputation here is damaged irreparably. Well, that's what I was just going to say is now what does this do for Scott Boris? Other possible new athletes that he may sign may think twice about the well, way and he's even handled current his business. Guys, I mean, let me ask you this. If you're Andrew Jones, do you get rid of Scott Boris and hire someone else? Absolutely. You, yeah. I absolutely get rid of him because I think I'm going to have a better negotiating power and reputation if I go with someone else. Well, and that's the thing here. You just hit it on the head. Listen, if you have an agent— You know, you want an agent who gets you maximum value, but you also want an agent who represents you the way that you want to be represented. Some guys just want you to go in, and it's all about the money, and they want you to get the highest price, and if you do that, they're happy. They don't care where they're playing. But obviously, Alex Rodriguez wanted to play with the Yankees. He wanted to play on that big stage. He wanted to help them move into their new stadium after next year. He knows the spotlight is bright in New York, and he chases his home run record. He's going to have more exposure there. He also knows that the Yankees, because they have so much money, they're really the only team that could surround him with any talent because they can pay for other players. If you took him to another market, chances are they're not going to be able to afford anyone else because you're paying Alex Rodriguez all your money, just like the Texas Rangers. Well, and I love sitting in here and bashing Scott Boras, but, you know, Alex Rodriguez got to take some of this pain himself. I mean, he obviously had conversations with Scott Boras and with himself about hey, maybe this is good for me if I leave the Yankees. I mean, he's got to take some of the burden as well. And like you said, he fell on the sword, but this isn't all Scott Boras' fault. It wasn't all done by Scott Boras. It's not, but this is going to sound really weird. In a roundabout way, yes, Alex Rodriguez cost himself probably 20 to $25 million, 
but I think he may have finally opened up the door to a love affair with the people of New York because he went to Hank Steinbrenner and said, you know what, I want to sit down with you personally. I want to get a deal done. I want to be a New York Yankee, and I think that's going to hold some weight with the fans. Now, like you said, he's going to need to deliver in the postseason, but I think people, if you're Derek Jeter, if you're Jorge Posada, whoever you are, they want to hear first and foremost, I want to be a New York Yankee. After that, if you can put up A-Rod's stats, and then if you can deliver in the postseason, then you're going to be endeared to the fans. And I think it's going to be a different story for A-Rod going forward. Well, and this too, I mean, you have to wonder, A-Rod wants to win a championship, obviously. And I think he realizes that New York is one of the best chances he's going to have to complete that career with a world championship. If he goes to another team that's willing to pay him all that money, he might not surround himself with the players that New York can provide to win a championship. So let me talk about last year's marquee signings. First of all, the... Winter League meetings, and that's when a lot of these deals get done. Trades and free agent signings. They're in Nashville, December 3rd to the 6th. Last year's marquee signings, you may remember the Cubs signed Alfonso Soriano to an eight-year, $136 million deal. The Giants gave that ridiculous deal to Barry Zito, seven years, $120 million. The Astros signed Carlos Lee to a six-year, $100 million deal. And even a guy like pitcher Gil Mesh got that five-year $55 million deal from the Kansas City Royals. So this year, Andrew Jones, Mike Lowell, Mariano Rivera, those are some of the names that are still on the free agent market. I don't think these guys are going to get nearly the money that was thrown around last year. And again, I think it's because the owners have quietly gotten together and said, you know what, the salaries have gotten out of hand. We're not going to pay out those salaries like we did. And also, you know, you saw the teams this year, Cleveland, Arizona, Colorado. They all got to the Final Four of baseball with relatively minimal payroll. Well, yeah, and you got to look at your return on investment here. Look at Barry Zito, $120 million deal. Where were the Giants? At the bottom of the tank. And I think we say time and time again till we're blue in the face, it's not necessarily about the star power. It's about how you fit in as a team. And clearly that wasn't the case for a team like the Giants this year. Yeah, it wasn't. And... You know, if you're the Angels, the Giants, you need to go get another player. But, you know, it's slim pickings out there. So you may see a guy like Miguel Cabrera, third baseman for the Marlins. Now, if he's on the market, the Marlins are going to get maximum value for him because it's slim pickings on the free agent market. So you may see some more trades. Coming up next, Brian Windhorse. He's a writer for the Akron Beacon Journal. He covers the Cleveland Cavaliers. He co-authored a new book called The Franchise. It's the ins and outs of LeBron James. We saw LeBron James labeled the chosen one on the cover of Sports Illustrated at age 17. This book details LeBron's early years in high school, the fame, and the fortune that he enjoys today, all the people he surrounded him with. We will get into that next with Brian Windhorst. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, 
the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Brian Windhorst. He covers the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Akron Beacon Journal. He's the co-author of a new book called The Franchise. He's co-authoring it with Terry Pluto. It's the inside look at the rise of Cavalier star LeBron James and the effect he's had on everyone from the Cavs franchise to companies like Nike. Brian, thanks for joining us this week. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Brian, how did you first meet LeBron James? I met LeBron when he was 14 years old, um, right when he started his uh, high school career. Uh, I was actually the uh, only reporter at his first game. Um, At that time, I was uh, uh, covering high schools in Akron, Ohio, and he was um, uh, playing on uh, one of the local high schools, and I just wanted to cover one of his games. And uh, I had definitely heard about him beforehand, uh, because he was sort of a hyped, uh, you know, potentially star player. But um, from the time he was 14 years old, he, you know, blew me away and has uh, continued to uh, be not only a thrill to cover, but, uh, you know, uh, awe-inspiring. Was, I've gone through with him all stages of his career. As someone who's covered him since age 14, when did everyone else start hopping on the the coverage train? I mean, you're saying you were the only reporter there when he was 14 years old. At what age did everyone start going, all right, I'm going to cover this guy intensely? I think the the basketball media sort of picked up on him uh, when he was about 16 or 17. Um, Right after that 2001 draft where um, for the top uh, eight guys were high school guys, the Kwame Brown draft. Um, and I think there was this um, belief in the basketball media, boy, if, if if all these top players are now coming out of high school, who is the next high school player to look at? And LeBron, by that point, as a junior in high school, through uh, tournaments and summer camps, had already established himself as the top prospect in all of high school across the country. And so it was sort of like a perfect storm. Um, there was interest all of a sudden nationally in high school basketball and one guy who everybody was looking at. And I think the basketball media woke up to that about that time. And then he hit the mainstream media when he appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated midway through his junior year, just after he turned 17. So I think after the Sports Illustrated thing, he became more of a national figure. Yeah, that's the cover where they labeled him the chosen one. His high school games were on ESPN. He signs a $90 million shoe deal with Nike before he ever plays a single NBA game. How do you think he's been able to deal with the incredible pressure that has accompanied these tremendous expectations as well as he has? Because I think he's done a pretty good job with it. I think there is just a belief in him at some point. He figured out, he became self-aware I'm going to say age 16 or 17, knowing where he was going to head. And he was able to prepare himself to deal with all this stuff. Um, And I mean, as far as dealing with the media and dealing with the hype, he, by the time he hit the NBA, he'd been dealing with it for several years. And he also had this incredible knack 
for always living up to the moment. And the moments kept getting bigger and bigger, but whether it was a state championship game when he was a freshman, when he was expected to lead a team to a state championship, which seems sort of trivial now when you're talking about the level he's playing on, but the time was pretty important to uh, playing in really big summer league games that were arranged just to showcase his talent against other top players to appearing on ESPN in a, in a hugely uh, important game for his career as a senior when that game was so really hyped for him to deliver on that stage. By the time he got to the NBA, he had already sort of been indoctrinated and had had success under pressure. I think it sort of just sort of gave him a, a cool confidence that he could pull it off. And that was one of the reasons that um, Nike, I think, really got attracted to him and, and he really became so popular is that because every time you would hear about this kid being built up and then you'd go see him on a stage, he would deliver. He never, ever let anybody down. Uh, whether it was an ESPN game, whether it was that first uh, game um, as a rookie where he had 25 points out in Sacramento. I mean, he just never let anybody down. And I think that uh, not only encouraged him to have an expanding fan base, but it always also encouraged him personally to believe he could handle any situation. Yeah, you know, I was around LeBron a little bit because I did some work for Nike back when he was being recruited by all the shoe companies. And two things struck me about LeBron. Number one is his physical stature. For a high school kid, he looked anything but like a high school kid. He's just got an incredible physique and physical build. And then, like you said, he really conducts himself well. And even when he was 14, 15, 16 years old, he really handled himself well in front of the media. How cooperative was LeBron uh, with offering insider confirming details for uh, the book that you wrote? Uh, Not very. And um, it's understandable. At age 22, you're not in the business of writing tell-all books. And um, that's understandable. But uh, I think LeBron went through a, a black period with the media when he was in high school. Right. Um, near the end, um, uh, when he went under some controversy. Hummergate. Although, right. Although it's, it's so ironic that he got in trouble for, or I shouldn't say trouble, but he got into controversy not because he was involved with breaking the law or anything, but it was because of getting cars and free jerseys and stuff like that. So I think it's important to realize that his character was never really questioned. I think some of the people around him were questioned. But, yeah, I mean, he, so he went through like a dark period where he didn't talk to the local media for a long time, and he went through a period where he sort of made it clear he didn't want to be a part of Akron and, and wanted to leave Akron behind as soon as possible. And then he sort of turned the corner on that and sort of has reconnected with the local media and has definitely reconnected with his hometown. And now he promotes his hometown as, uh, as much as he possibly can, and he's pretty much the favorite son in the history of the city. My guest is Brian Windhorst. He covers the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Akron Beacon Journal. He's got a new book out called The Franchise. It's the inside look at LeBron James. So let's talk about a chapter in your book talking about the shoe wars. And again, I was doing some work with Nike. I saw firsthand this battle between Nike, Reebok, and Adidas, and it was intense. And they're offering this young man millions of dollars before he ever plays an NBA game. What did you find while doing your research for this book about that battle? Well, it was so it was so amazing because Michael Jordan was retiring. There was pressure on um, Nike to come up with a new signature star. So you sort of had a perfect timing for that. And again, a situation where everybody thought this kid was going to be the real deal. There was nobody that really doubted him. 
And so he had a lot of things going in his favor. And then when it came to the actual bidding process, you had um, th all three major shoe companies willing to bid on him, uh, even though you know, Adidas tried to get the inside track when he was younger, um, and Nike tried to uh, you know, do, do its own special type of recruiting. All three shoe companies were putting in major bids, and so it, cr it created an incredible uh, bidding war. And I think I can still remember to this day a game during LeBron's senior year um, in Los Angeles at Pauley Pavilion. Um, and I was at the game. It was an ESPN game. And it was an important game because uh, they won the game and reached number one national ranking. But that's not what I was even paying attention to. What I was paying attention to was that night, sitting on one of the baselines was Phil Knight. And Phil Knight doesn't come to high school basketball games. He right. sure as heck doesn't get in, the, uh, in, in an airplane and fly to Los Angeles to come watch basketball game. And then on, on the other baseline was Sonny Vaccaro, who was um, Adidas's point man on the, uh, on the LeBron James recruitment. And on basically bouncing back and forth between these two, you know, mega guys with representing billion-dollar companies. And it was just so amazing. You could just see how intense this war was about to get. Um, and that night, uh, Sonny Vaccaro, who hadn't talked to Phil Knight in 10 years since he left Nike, comes up to Phil Knight and you know, has the audacity, in uh, some people's words, to tell him to be ready to fight for the kid. And for, for, for that to just, for, for not just to have the, the billion-dollar companies bidding, but the machismo of these two guys trying to land this kid, I mean, it just led to such an incredible atmosphere that he was really able to take advantage of. And in, in my opinion, signed the greatest endorsement deal in the history of pro sports because yeah, there's guys who have gotten more money. Certainly, Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan have bigger contracts, but LeBron got a you know ninety million dollar guarantee before he even knew where he was going to go play. He was still senior in high school. He'd never, he hadn't even been the lottery hadn't been conducted yet um, when they signed that deal. So, considering the huge risk being taken and, and the actual value, I just I just think it's the most incredible individual endorsement deal in the history of sports. Brian, we've got just a few minutes left. Aaron Goodwin was LeBron's agent when he came into the league. He was known for securing big shoe deals, but also, uh, you know, there's rumors that he gave LeBron payment, that he was very close with LeBron's mother, Gloria. That's how he got into the fold with LeBron. He's no longer LeBron's agent. Leon Rose is now LeBron's agent. LRMR Marketing, led by Maverick Carter. They handle the marketing for LeBron. Update us on uh, maybe why... Aaron Goodwin went away, and what the business empire of LeBron James looks like right now. I think that Aaron is a guy who has had a lot of success, but he's also a guy that wanted to control uh, all aspects of LeBron's um, management. And both LeBron and, um, and some other people close to LeBron wanted to have more control over it, and it, it led to some tensions. And um, directly, that's the reason. I'm sure there are other reasons that I don't even know about, but directly... Um, because Aaron wouldn't relinquish control, um, you know, LeBron's friends basically took over his management. And um, they have signed a couple of small endorsement deals. Um, he has not cashed in over the last three years since he fired Aaron, as he did the first two years when he had Aaron on his side. Um, so from, from a pure business standpoint, Aaron Goodwin uh, did a better job for LeBron than his current management has. However... Um, obviously, he's got a long career left. There's been a re renegotiation of a Nike contract coming up, 
and um, other uh, potential deals. So they certainly will have time to, to show that, that, that they can make the same sort of deals. But um, regardless of how what happens in the future, Aaron Goodwin did a masterful job of getting LeBron not only not only a great Nike contract but other contracts, and uh, his new management team has yet to live up to that uh, that standard he set. So speaking of LeBron's future in Cleveland, I interviewed Cleveland Cavs owner Dan Gilbert last June when the Cavs were in the NBA Finals. Obviously, he's very fond of LeBron. LeBron has been excellent for franchise value and for ticket sales, merchandise sales, everything that is the Cavaliers business. Some people have said LeBron, when he is uh, ready to opt out, could opt out and go to greener pastures, maybe L.A., New York, New Jersey, a bigger market. Do you think LeBron will stay in Cleveland for the long haul, or do you think he'll be swayed by the bright lights of another bigger city? I think I don't think that the, that the city will matter. I think the direction of the team and the makeup of the team will matter. He's the top paid endorsement guy in all of the NBA right now. He's Nike's signature star, and he's done that from Cleveland. Um, certainly he can make more money elsewhere, um, but he hasn't shown that that's what's most important. What he has made clear is he wants to be on a good winning program. And it's impossible to predict what the lay of the land is going to look like in three years. I can't predict what the lay of the NBA is going to look like in March. I can't predict what it's going to look like at the end of December, much less uh, tomorrow so or three years from now. So I think... Um, I won't rule out that LeBron would want to leave to go to another market, but I think that the decision will not be based on the size of the market. It will be based on the the, the opportunity to, to be on a good winning team because at the end of the day, LeBron's already conquered the endorsement game. He doesn't have to go to New York to become the NBA's top endorsement guy. He's already there. Brian, how can people get their hands on your new book, The Franchise? It's available for sale now on Amazon.com. And... Um, is uh, being released in early December in bookstores, uh, and I believe it will be available uh, nationwide uh, by around Christmas. But you can definitely order it uh, now on Amazon.com and, and have it in your hands uh, for the Christmas season. So good, uh, if, you're, if you're a Cavs fan or a LeBron fan and want to know the whole story and the background stuff and stuff you've never read about or heard about before, it's a really great uh, book or Christmas present. Well, guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere for the Mortons nearest you. Go online to mortons.com. Brian, I've admired your work for a long time. I appreciate you taking the time to join us, and uh, best of luck during the holidays and the upcoming Cavalier season. Thanks, Brian. Take care. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. All too often, great ideas from the boardroom go unrealized. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every week on Sports Business Radio, I talk to owners and high-level executives who are responsible for overseeing multi-million dollar businesses. And guess what? Sometimes they can't achieve everything they'd like to on their own. That's why I want to tell you about a company that's helping senior-level executives realize their potential and meet their business objectives. Sockeye Inc. is a strategic consulting firm that advises executives on three primary issues business development, corporate social responsibility, and project management. Whether it's providing a critical outside perspective or if it's just making sure your project is delivered on time and within its budget, Sockeye Inc. is the company to turn to. As a high-level executive responsible for making key decisions every day, you need trustworthy counsel that will help make your great ideas a reality. To learn more about Sockeye Inc. strategic consulting services, visit SockeyeNorthwest.com or call Sockeye Inc. founder Joe Vaughn at 503-780-3032. This is Sports 
Business Radio. Well, Justin Timberlake is bringing sexy back to the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour announced on Monday that the four-time Grammy Award-winning singer, songwriter, record producer, and actor will serve as the host of the Justin Timberlake Shriners Hospitals for Children Open, part of the tour's fall series. It will be played October 13th to 19th, 2008 at TPC Summerlin. That's a good course. As part of his involvement, Timberlake will play in the Wednesday Celebrity Pro-Am and host a concert during tournament week. Now, Nathan, uh, JT's pretty good. He plays to a six handicap. I would love to have a six handicap. So he's bringing sexy back the same way you bring it back to Sports Business Radio. Is that how that works? Yep. He's, you know, he's rocking it just like me. I saw his swing. He's got a good-looking swing. I was surprised. Well, I mean, you see some of these celebrities play, and you see a guy like Charles Barkley swing the golf club, and you go, oh, my Lord, this guy should not be on the course. But JT's pretty good. I mean, he's the kind of guy that you hate. He's a good-looking guy. He gets all the women. He is a rock star, and he's a good golfer to boot. I don't need that. He, gets, he has the time to do it. He does have the time to do it. Next week, we're going to bring you the best of sports business radio, featuring three of my favorite conversations from the past few months. We'll hear from two-time MVP Steve Nash of the Phoenix Suns. I caught up with, with him in September when we were in China. We'll also hear from USC head football coach Pete Carroll. I interviewed Carroll in his office in Los Angeles in October. And last but not least, you'll hear my conversation with Los Angeles Dodgers owner Frank McCourt, who's made some big news recently by hiring Joe Torre as the Dodgers' new manager. Three insightful conversations that I hope you enjoy. I want to thank our guest, Brian Windhorst, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Joe Vaughn, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Sockeye Inc. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast anytime you want. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. Keep up with breaking sports business news and my opinions by reading my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. I wish you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving. Lots to be thankful for this year. Enjoy it, and we'll see you in a few weeks. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>